to the Waking Up From Work podcast. My name is Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 155 of the show today. This is your host, Dave Swillam. This is where we get to work, making work a passion, living creative full time. So if you are new to this show, this is where we interview artists, entrepreneurs, creatives, and people living alternative lives, pursuing their passions. Tonight on the show is a recommendation from Chad, who has been listening to this podcast forever. Shout out Chad for making this connection and shout out Lauren right here for rescheduling a million times with her busy (laughs) schedule and making it happen regardless of it. So I want to uh, introduce her. It's going to be a a cool change up from some of the creative businesses that we've had on recently. You know, if you can listen back, we had Jonathan Hilleman on from the NFL. And this is kind of another guest that is just such an interesting topic to me and a different perspective than anything that I've done in my life, which is going to be Lauren Doyle, who is a two-time USA Olympian in Tokyo and Rio. She is part of the USA rugby team. And she's coming at us from, I think, California, right? You are right. Yes. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being so adaptable and flexible with my crazy schedule. (laughs) I'm used to it. Yeah. It's (laughs) my schedule is seven days a week and weird hours. And everyone who seems to be on my show is usually in some type of crazy weird schedule. And that's kind of like what makes all of this work, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty unique. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So I appreciate you working with me to come on the show here. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. So Lauren, for people that may not be familiar with you yet, or some of the things that you do, can you just give us like a run through of like, how did you get to be in the position that you're at and kind of what's going on in your life now? Like who is Lauren Doyle and and how did all this happen for you? Yeah, I guess rugby is not a very popular sport in the US. So I didn't find rugby until I was 18. And I got recruited to play it in college, Mm. not because I played it in high school, but just because I played a lot of sports and the coach was like, yeah, we can teach you rugby. So I went to Eastern Illinois and I played rugby there for almost four years. And after my first year of competing, the coach was like, they're going to make a residency program out in California because the... Rugby is going to be back in the Olympics in 2016. Mm. And so he was like, I want you to make it your goal to get into that residency program by 2012. And at at this point, it was 2009. And I was like, "Um, okay, like I didn't really know. It's not that much time to be in that situation, right? (laughs) Yeah. Learn a whole sport. And not to mention, like I was playing 15 style rugby at the time and in the Olympics is only sevens style. So yeah, we can talk about the differences (laughs) later, but my coach had some connections with USA rugby and he got me and another girl out to a camp in like 2010 or so. So I got like into the system and then In 2012, I got invited to a camp out here in San Diego and I went on my first tour to China and then I went to Dubai and then I got offered a contract to be a full-time resident in January of 2013. Wow. So, yes. So I've been doing rugby as my job full-time for almost 10 years now. So yeah, we've we've been through a lot, but my day-to-day is we wake up, we go to the Olympic Training Center and I have probably a practice and then some meetings and a gym session and then another training and I do that four times a week and on Wednesdays we are off. Except for this weekend we are playing competitions against Australia. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little wild. Not this weekend, yeah. Wow. What it, that sounds like it happened really quickly and then all of a sudden you were just like in it. But I'm sure it didn't feel that way when you were working really hard to, first of all, change sports entirely. Second of all, get up to pace to 
be in some of those things like at the same time. But it sounds like it, it sounded like a really quick, like boom, but I feel like things always sound that way from the outside. Yeah, it, it was. I won't lie. It was it was quick. I still hadn't graduated college yet. I was in my senior year and I had one semester left and I was like, I got it. I got to go. I have to go out to California. <laughs> and my mom was like, you have to promise me that you're going to finish your degree. And so I did. USA Rugby has hookups with DeVry. And so I finished the five classes that I needed and graduated. I transferred them back to Eastern. So I graduated through Eastern in 2014 with a marketing degree that I've never used. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I find that that happens quite a bit where people are like working on some project, like a business or themselves as an artist, or in this case, an athlete in college. And it's like, they've already gotten on the path of like, okay, I know what I'm like trying to do right now for what I want to do. And the degree is kind of like, let's finish it, I guess. Like, you know, like let's definitely get it in there, but it's like, I'm already on the path of like what's supposed to happen right now, or I'm already like dead set on like exactly what I want. You know, yeah, I guess my mentality was just like, school is always going to be there, but this opportunity is not. And so I, I had to go with my gut there and my parents moved me out to California and I've been out here ever since. So. Wow. That's really cool. So. I guess like what went into, you had different pieces of it. Like at first, it sounds like when you were leaving high school, that's when you were recruited to play rugby at a college level, right? Yeah. Based off of the different athletic things that you were doing, they said, hey, you should come play rugby. And then you took that opportunity, went to college. Now you're in that program. And then the next opportunity presents itself when you must have obviously been accelerating at rugby to be kind of scoped out for this. And then someone says hey, like this is an opportunity for you to potentially get into the Olympics is to go do some of these programs. And then once you did those, then you're in the next spot. And then they're like, yes, like you should definitely do this. And then they gave you a contract. Is that kind of how those different stops happened in there? Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. That's that's exactly how, how they went. And with each step, it just started more refined, more focused end goal for what I was trying to get to, you know, I never, I, I never knew that playing as a woman, especially playing a sport professionally and getting paid to do so was even an option. Like that never, when I was little, like that just didn't really cross my mind. You just didn't think that that was going to be an option. And so that now that it is like, I just think it's like the coolest opportunity in the world. And a lot of people don't know about it. So. Yeah. I guess like on that note, Because this seems to be like, just like when I talk to like that, I'm not trying to make the comparison, but for me, that NFL player is the same way where it's just like, it seems very secret of like how you actually get into these things. Or it seems like a lot of people assume that they're either like given the opportunity or there's some like born, you know, like born into like literally their family has played rugby for a thousand years and you were born (laughs) out of rugby in the fires of rugby and then become like, you know what I mean? I feel like people have like these ideas of like what it is. And I, and I find in the music industry, it's also the same way where people are like, you know, you could never be making a living off of an, as an artist, you could never make a living like playing your own songs. But I know people that do it every single day and there's, there's a way to do it. What would you say to like people who, Maybe they're a young athlete right now in high school or college. What would mm-hmm. what would your now with this experience 10 years into doing this full time say back to some people that are like thinking the same thing? Maybe they're like, that's not even something that exists. What, what would you say from your experience of like, you know, maybe this is how they could approach it or to that thought, I guess. I guess just how you would get into the system per se. Like I, I played at a a college that was D1 and we had like a very structured thing and you know we played 10 teams a year and and stuff like that. Speci- I'm just going to speak specifically to rugby in general. Sure. Um yes, so there's club club rugby in the summertime and there's sevens teams all over the US now, especially a lot now and then they have also started Premier Rugby League and so they did it once last summer 
And it's basically where they split, they split all these women up into different teams. And like the USA team is also split up. And so it's just like a really cool opportunity to get paid to play. And you you get to play with like people that are really experienced. So PR sevens is definitely something that people should look into if they want to get seen by the national team coach. But before that, you can play on any club team that is in your area and that club team will then you got to get to nationals and you got to get like that's where our coach will go and watch like the top teams perform at nationals and that's that's kind of how I got seen like my team did end up going to nationals but you can also get on on different teams that have a higher percentage of going to nationals like there's not that many teams in the U.S. But yeah, I played in San Francisco with North Shore Rugby in Chicago. And yeah, we went, we went and we played out there. And that's where I was seen more deeply in, in sevens. And I got invited out to camp. So like we, help, we hold camps quite frequently at the training center. And yeah, like that's kind of the path that you have to get on is do you got you to gotta be working really hard. <laughs> and you got to be, uh, you need to be fit if you want to really be seen at the, at the national team level. Cool. So I'm hearing like working on yourself in terms of like showing up as an athlete, showing up as being with health, with mind, with, with passion, but then also working to actively create visibility where you're saying like, how am I being seen? And it's, you know, like if I'm not in the nationals, if I'm not on a team that's winning, you know, what, what things can I do to make it so that I find a way into the light? Uh, regardless of what spot I'm at right now, how do I find different ways that make me into a position where people are looking basically? Yeah. I mean, that's like I said, rugby is a very developmental sport right now. And, you know, we don't have a lot of avenues where if your team isn't performing, like you're going to be seen type of thing. So I guess I don't have the right words or don't have the right information for you, but it's not that hard. Because there's not that much, you know, competition pool right now, because like I said, people don't know about rugby. So like if you get out there and you work hard and you are doing something that someone has seen, people will talk about that and that'll get back to our head coach. And, you know, she goes to tournaments throughout the U.S. as well. Right now we're in season, so that's not necessarily top priority, but just like you got to keep playing, you got to keep doing all your games. And like I said, the PR sevens would be a really great opportunity to get in there. Sure. That's awesome. And so it's it, it basically what I'm hearing from you is that like you obviously have to put in the work, but like it is obviously possible because you're living it right now. And it's, it's so awesome to hear that you've been doing this now 10 years is like your full-time job. That's got to be such a cool life to live. Yes. It's also a hard time sometimes when you show up on Monday and they say, Hey, we're doing fitness testing today. And you say, awesome. Yes. <laughs> this is what I signed up for. So <laughs> it's a different That's be brutal. on things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll keep yeah. you healthy though. Yeah, <laughs> keeps, well, keeps yeah. you off the couch. <laughs> it does. It does. Keeps me on my toes for sure. <laughs> oh my God. Did you see, like, I guess like what for your, your first Olympics was Rio, right? Yeah. And that was also the first time that you said that rugby entered back into being in the Olympics for the yes. games. What was that experience like, I guess, for you as a first time experience at the Olympics? Like what, what were some of the things that you felt in that event? Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Like it was surreal. It was like, we were all just in awe of all of these athletes, you know, that you see on TV and there they were standing in, in real life, you know, it was, you know, you could tell like, Oh, the rugby team's never been here. Cause we were like, can you take a picture with us? Can you take a picture? You know what I mean? So it was just with really other cool. teams and stuff. You mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just other athletes, like track athletes, Venus and Serena Williams, like it, everyone is there. Michael Phelps, like it was, it was wild. So it was really cool. Maybe slightly overwhelming at times, you know? Yeah. Just like didn't know what to expect. Didn't know how these things roll out and, and just like the sheer 
magnitude of of the olympics like it's huge like it when we travel and we go and we play on our world series like it's just us it's just the rugby teams right and then when you right. go to the olympics and it's just like every single sport ever is being played at the same time and so it's just it's just so different than than what we normally experience so it is definitely like an overwhelming and crazy um, experience. But at the end of the day, we were there to play rugby. And, you know, that was also very fun to get out there. And, you know, my parents got to come and watch the games, which they don't, they don't really travel very much. So they've really only seen a couple of us stops that we have, but yeah, so it was, it was surreal. It was very cool experience, you know, and then, with the difference between the 2020 with no fans. Um, I was going to ask you that next. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, What a difference that must have been where like I'm used to playing shows. And so during COVID times, like it's lightened up now, like I'm going to go to a show right after our interview tonight, but I was live streaming my concerts and and I was on like live stream festivals and stuff. And it was so weird, including my energy that I got from the room not having people there to like react to my songs or to like react to like between tuning and stuff. Like I always have like stage banter and I'm like, I got a thumbs up. I got like a, you know, a heart emoji. <laughs> it's like, like it, I guess. What was, the, what was the difference? I know that you had like, you know, 2016 to 2020, right? So you had like a big yeah. gap. You probably had a lot of time developing as an athlete, a lot of experience from that first, uh, that first Olympics. What was the, how did that feel? Like, did it, do you guys, you have to feed off energy just like everyone else in terms of having a crowd or things like that. How, what was the differences? What what was your take on, on that one? Yeah. I mean, like we, we've always had crowds any, anytime we go anywhere. So like uh, big crowds. And so I would say in the lead up to the 2020 Olympics, you know, we did get to go to a couple of tournaments where there weren't any fans, but we were playing like real competition like we would on our World Series. So it's kind of hard to get out of that. I'm at practice mindset. You know, it just it would just feel like practice. But at the same time, it was also very helpful because I could hear everyone on the field, you know, <laughs> like because we talk okay. a lot when, when we're on the field. And so sometimes when you got the crowd going really loud, it makes our job like 30 times harder. I and bet. so, yeah, there were no excuses for, oh, I didn't hear what you said. It's, no, no, you did. I think the whole everything, the whole stadium <laughs> heard, empty everyone stadium heard. heard what I said. Everyone People heard. on TV heard what I said. Yeah, it, it was different for sure. But by the time the games rolled around, it was almost normal. Like it was just like, okay, yeah, no, there's no one in the, in the crowds. Like this is a gigantic stadium that we're in. That's so it, weird. But it's just us. So it was also, I don't know. It was, it was kind of cool. It was a neat experience. I'll say. I mean, it's a one, it's hopefully a once in a lifetime experience. You yeah. Know what I mean? it's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's gotta be pretty crazy to be in a stadium that big with zero people in it. That's gotta be None. like also kind of a dream too, where it's like probably a dream to go to your first Olympics and you're like, look at how much shit is happening right now. And then the next one, it's like the opposite. We were like, look at how much shit is here for infrastructure and how nothing yeah. else is happening except exactly. for us. But there's gotta be like also that perspective for you where you're used to training, obviously, you know, without crowds, you're used to in your training for training matches and things like that. And then once the game hits and that adrenaline's going and like your focus and everything, it's also got to feel like I'm playing rugby. I played this so many times and I'm doing this again that you're not yeah. focused on some of that stuff. I'd imagine also for nerves too. I don't know if you feel that. Right. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't say like the crowds or anything is what I'm focusing on, but I have played in stadiums where it was damn near impossible to hear someone five feet from me. And the amount of frustration that that caused me was pretty crazy. Yep. We played um, in Pan Ams up in Toronto, Canada, and we were in the final match playing for first against Canada. And so it was wild. They were so loud. And I was like, I literally can't hear anyone on the field right now. 
you know, oh to God. just have two completely opposite things, it, it, it's pretty cool to experience. What do you do in a situation when you straight up can't communicate? Like how can, is, are there a bunch of like missed opportunities because people just like are looking one way or they're trying to do something else and you can't, there's no way even with like hand gestures or things or like moving to try to get in their sight line. Like how does that, what do you do to yeah. combat a situation like that? Well, I would say that situation was a big learning curve for us because we'd never been in that situation before. But we try and like look at each other before, like, let's say we're going to kick off or something. Like we all have to be on the same page for what we're getting ready to do. And we don't really verbally tell each other anything anyways. We have like hand hand signals like to tell us where we're going to kick. So everyone is generally looking at the kicker or looking down the line to see like, okay, you, you know, you know, you know, but at this point, a lot of things are quite second nature to us. So unless we need to be changing something on the fly, like it's pretty much just going to have to wait till halftime when we come in. To, to kind of like reassess and be like, hey, this thing's been happening. I have no idea how I've been trying. There's no way that I've been trying to connect with you on it. Like when this happens, yeah. I need to do this thing basically. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So halftime is only do? two minutes. So you got to get it in fast. You got to get your message in fast. And, you know, if we need to change something, if, if something's not working, if we need to stay out of the rucks, if we need to, you know, do more uh, tap and goes like you, you, that's your opportunity to say it and to adjust on the fly. But like I said, you know, we haven't been having the big crowds anymore. So been pretty easy to feed stuff in to each other right now but yeah some people some teams will like bring it in after a score and kind of like check in with each other and other teams just go straight and set up so it just depends on your team what about the opposite side in tokyo i feel like this would be my problem just because it's being filmed and i'm also very competitive and get hot-headed did you have to like worry about swearing where like now everything can be heard? Did, was that like a, a problem in the Olympics if there were like not people in there? I would, if I was versing people and I'm like heated, I'd be so scared that I'm like, what? <laughs> no, they've, they've definitely caught, caught us. Like we just had a tournament in Spain in Malaga and we, we won gold there. And so they got us on huddle right after the game was over. And, you know, one of our teammates was like, fuck yeah we played that good and then the audio like cut and they were like oh sorry about that and so (laughs) we we do not edit anything that we're saying on the field period like if camera catches it okay whatever and but when we do like after game interviews you know you try and like be more composed than that but in in field all all is fair play yeah i mean what are you gonna do it's like you're too passionate and too like after it right then to like be able to not do that it's so much energy you know yeah we're definitely a swearing little team i'm probably (laughs) guilty of it the most (laughs) well you're on the right podcast because we swear on here quite a bit (laughs) great (laughs) yeah you're allowed to swear i will not cut it (laughs) perfect (laughs) so you you mentioned spain and then we mentioned these different locations on that i'd love to hear like i i saw in the the article before you had mentioned it earlier before the show I'm also from a very small town. It was like, yours might've been smaller because it said that one rode in. But I remember when I was growing up, I had a population of like 2000 in there. Pretty small town. We had one gas station that was a gas station that you could get like some terrible, terrible pizzas at. And it also had like (sighs) an ice cream booth cut out from the back of it. It was like, that's where you go to. And I used to always (laughs) skateboard there. And so growing up, I grew in a pretty small town and I'm not in that big of a town. I'm outside of Portland now, but there's definitely, you know, a hundred thousand people more than that, but I'd be interested to hear like what, what's been like the, you know, I know that it sounds like when you went from high school to college, I'm sure that that was like more going on. And then you started getting out. How has it been like growing up small town America and then going to like places like Rio and Tokyo is straight up the most populated city, like in the world. How has it been traveling? First of all, where like, I don't know if you came from a background traveling, but probably not the extent that you have. And like, how have these different cities and things been as an experience to you coming from small town America, then going to Rio and Tokyo and Spain and whatever all the time? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I grew up in Booty, Illinois, and my high school was like 360 people. So my graduating class was 
like, I think we had 84 in it. So very small, no diversity within it. Yeah. And then I went to college, which was Eastern Illinois and Charleston and, you know, a little bit more city-esque, but not really. And a lot more diversity that I was, you know, exposed to and interested in. And uh, we, we just traveled around the Midwest, really, when we went to games. I had never... I'd never been out of the country until yeah. I came to the U.S. team. And then, yeah, I mean, the first place I went was China. So that was pretty cool. Like That not was my probably favorite, a lot, too. Not my favorite place, but, like, it was a really fun experience, <laughs> you know. And then just, like, like, if you were to ask me when I was young, like, are you going to go travel the world? I'd be like, well, that would be cool. But, like, how? You know, yeah. How's that <laughs> like, how happen? do I do this? Yeah. So, yeah. and it's like some of the places we've been, I never would have even been able to show you where they are on the map. Like I haven't heard, had never heard of some of the places like, you know, you hear of Dubai, but you're like, why would I go there? You know? And so, I mean, I've been to Dubai eight times. So wow. Holy crap. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy and it's probably one of my favorite places that we go now, we stay in a really, really, really nice hotel. But yeah, like you said, just seeing different cultures and seeing how other countries do things is like fascinating to me. Like I love Japan. Same. I think Japan is one of the coolest places. Just It's just so neat there and, and different from from us. And so, yes, Rio was very different. Um, like you said, highly populated and pretty much just living on each other, you know, with the favelas and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah, you, you saw that you're exposed to it. Like it's, it's pretty wild. And, you know, you go somewhere like Fiji where, you know, they don't really value like materialistic things and they have a lot of just like togetherness on that Island. And that's also really cool to see. So yeah, just seeing like different things from uh, how our country does things is pretty pretty enlightening and kind of rounds you out, makes you respect things and understand things a little bit more and maybe not be so judgy, but yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. It was interesting. I was going to ask you like, what were some of your favorite spots and what what were some of your least favorite as you traveled? So it was interesting to to hear kind of some of those, but that's got to be very different places like a Fiji versus like a Tokyo and you know, uh, it's got to be super, <laughs> super different places. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, very, very different places. Um, yeah, I would say one of my favorites would be Dubai and then um, Why? Japan. Dubai is like the cleanest, coolest city ever. It, it just makes you feel like I am rich. just by by being there you're like wow everything (laughs) is so nice here like and then you know the Burj Khalifa like the tallest building is like I don't know how to explain it other than it's gonna be sick it looks fake even when you're standing at the base of it and you're like looking straight up and you still can't see the top of it you're like this building looks fake like it's it's wild like it's just the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then, yeah. you know, I, I love anywhere basically in Europe. I think Europe's really cool. Amsterdam was probably one of my favorites, just very laid back, like green everywhere and chill city. And yeah, I love Tokyo. Well, not necessarily like Tokyo, but we went, so before the Olympics, we went to a town called Mimasaka, which is like three hours by bullet train away from Tokyo. Okay. So it was like up in like the little mountain valleys and it was just so pretty and I fell in love literally with that place. Yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, those are a few of the of the faves. Yeah, I have a goal to play some shows in Tokyo in the next two years. So yes, we'll see, that we'll see if so that cool. happens or not. Because it's obviously pretty logistically challenging to dry to fly yes. to that place book shows in, in a language that you don't know and yeah. get gear into there. Oh, <laughs> so we'll harsh that, language barrier. Yes. <laughs> we'll see if that happens, but that's a goal of mine right now. But we're nice people the culture. Though. from the outside. Nice. I love the culture. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I guess like, cause you started talking about schedule earlier, like just in your introduction there, 
I'm sure a lot of people like, like my wife and I, like recently on like the last Olympics, we were talking about how cool it was that TikTok exists because of how many Olympians are posting these little yeah. video clips of like what's going on behind the scenes. And it's so fascinating because in the past you would just see the Olympics and you'd see maybe Instagram was there and like right. you'd see pictures and things, but like seeing little videos of like the day-to-day behind the life of those events was really interesting this past one. What's some of like the schedule that you have on like a normal day-to-day? And then like, what are some of the things that I I guess change in in preparation for these events? I don't know if they do or not, but like, what's some of the schedule looking like where if I'm a full-time rugby player, full-time Olympian or whatever it is that I'm doing, like, what are these regiments, I guess? I'm sure people would be interested to hear that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, we train four days a week, like I said, and it's used generally two practices and a lift and then a whole bunch of like sports psychology stuff. So we call it Mm -hmm. mind gym. And yeah, so we do a lot of that. And then like, I guess the biggest change that you're going to really have when we go to any uh, stop that we have, any tour or the Olympics Well, mainly at the Olympics is the big difference is that it's going to take probably like over an hour to get to places, no matter Mm. what. Like the land map of the Olympics is just they put everything so far away from everything. So like to get to the stadium on game game day was at least an hour coming back at least an hour and then um then you know you add traffic into that because in tokyo they didn't really have like the bus system that they had in rio in rio they made like special olympic roads and it made it a lot smoother but it was still really far so the whole whole day is going to be filled with stuff because you have to schedule in all the transitions to to places like a practice day like you're going to you you try and like smash everything into that location that you're going to because if not you're just going to hours upon hours on the road and it's just different from what we're used to when we go on tour Generally, everything's a little bit closer than that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so funny. So the biggest thing is just like how far everything is that you have to get to, not so much like what you're doing in terms of an an athlete, right? I mean, obviously we we manage our ramp up and our ramp down, so we we have like a deload week, which is what we're into now because we have competitions coming up, so. Basically, we don't want to be running your legs into the ground on Monday because you really got to be at top form by Friday. Right. Yeah, we wear GPSs and yeah, they really manage our our loads when we go when we travel places. So that that changes a little bit from when we're at home, you know. Yeah. The the first time I've ever encountered that is a I'm going to call myself a civilian here. You know, it's okay. like <laughs> It's like, uh, I, I do like, a I did my first marathon in 2020, but I, I'm, I'm, I, I like it a lot, but that took me having to understand like a warm up and a cool down period. And, and also like, I, I bet I, you know, I did wrestling in high school and I did things, I did sports before, but that was so tough on my body that I really had to learn. Like, you know, if I started feeling an injury or I started feeling like things that were off, like taking time to heal and like heal, like really intentionally, like do things to speed it up or like changing my nutrition, changing, like when I had to bring calories in, when I expended like a ridiculous amount of calories and stuff, I didn't understand any of that stuff. I still pretty much don't, but (laughs) that, that was an interesting learning process of like, I felt more like the mind of a, a higher athlete doing that process because my body was under such wear and tear where my body didn't like what was happening and I had to adjust things. Whereas before it's like in in high school, I was doing wrestling and we were like the best in the state. So I was in, on yeah. a team that was very aggressive and they were about it, but it's like, I was still eating crap food and I was still doing whatever I wanted to do. And I could still also show up and do that right sport that was changed things for me a bit but that sounds like the that, that makes perfect sense that you guys obviously would have that down to like a science like that of having these warm-ups and cool downs and is it that way too like when you have like an injury or you have something coming on or something that's favored or anything like do they have different ways that they have you rest or bring that back 
Yeah, fortunately for us, we don't have to manage our load. We have a strength and conditioning coach that, you know, looks at our GPSs while we're on the field and sees our meters and our accelerations and decels and all that. And he can pull you if he feels, well, you've done, you've hit your quota this week, you know, and he can pull you out. We also have a dietitian that keeps us, she doesn't tell us what to eat, but she helps with the menus when we're on tour and she can change things and get people what they need whenever we are traveling. So that's very helpful. And yeah, if, if we do get injured, we, we have a full-time athletic trainer and she takes us into, we call it return to play protocol. And they basically adjust your schedule so that you're still getting outputs. So, you know, if the girls like have a hard session and then you're going to be like on the bike Maybe you're on the assault bike and you're doing like a similar interval to Those them. Those are terrible. The assault bike yeah, is terrible. <laughs> absolutely horrible. Probably the worst thing. I would rather just run. <laughs> but yes, I hate the assault bike. Awful. And so Awful. yeah, if you're if you're injured, they definitely do steps to get you back into it. You know, we have girls that are injured right now. So what about the? That was interesting that you were talking about the like the mental. I forget what you t- you called it, like your mental day or whatever. The mind, the mind gym. Mind gym. Yes. What are some of the? Because like your your mindset has to be so like brick to do this high performance stuff. Like, what are some of the things that go into the psychology or the mindset training of an Olympic athlete? Yes. So what we focus on primarily is be- being present, and because. If you start thinking about what you just did or what might happen next, you tend to mess up the current situation. So um, we, we do a lot of practicing yeah. on, on staying in the moment and how do I stay here? It, it's okay to feel feelings and you can acknowledge them, but then we need to move back to being present. So we just do a lot of different techniques that can ground you and bring you back because it's really, Mm. I mean, you know, I can still get flustered on the field, but it's how quickly I can bounce back now. So, you know, when when we make a mistake, when we knock the ball on, you know, it's my bad. And then it's right on to the next thing. And there's no dwelling on the past because it already happened. And now we just have to focus on what's in front of us in order to get the outcome that, that we want. So. That's really cool. I feel like that's so unilaterally applicable where it's like, as people, our biggest problems, like psychologically or or in terms of having like mental hardship, I feel like coming from dwelling too much on the past and what's already happened or being too anxious about the future. It's literally like they say, like depression is like when you can't let go of the past and anxiety is when you can't deal with what could or could not happen in the future. So it's like learning to be present in anything, in your relationship, in business, in your sport or in whatever. It seems like anything that you can do to focus on being present is really important for any type of performance. And also like as a human being, we're like built not to do that. We're like always like our mind just doesn't want that. So it's always trying to calculate and like plan and like see opportunities. And like a lot of that is a good thing for us, but it also a lot of it, like you're saying, like you're in the middle of a game, something happened. It's like, it's gone. It happened. Like I should learn from if it's something yes. that the team's doing or something specifically to learn what, what these people are doing, then that's helpful. But it's like at the end of the day, it already happened. So now if I'm taking time, I'm stalling right now. I'm not getting what needs to happen right now done. Or if I'm too anxious about what could happen and I'm over planning, then it's like, maybe I'm not focused on like that one chance opportunity or something. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, our mind is basically made to think and protect us. So it does what it, it can. And, you know, if the more you can learn to control it and control your thoughts and recognize that, okay, I'm getting pissy. Like, and the quicker you can bring it back to, okay, moving on to the next step, you know, like that's going to elevate your game and make you a better athlete all around. Sure. Are there any things like from all of those trainings that you've done on this mind gym stuff that you'd recommend for people that maybe aren't athletes or maybe they're not at your level that could help them be more present? Are there any tools or 
like processes that you could recommend to people for presence? Yes, we have an app. It's called like Healthy Minds app. And it's basically like guided meditation and stuff like that. But it doesn't have to be long. It can just be for five minutes. A lot of people on our team do that when our sports psychologist isn't around. But yeah, any any form of meditation or any time that you can take out of your day to just be like, this is me in this moment. And I'm not going to think about yesterday or tomorrow or anything else. Like it really will help your mindset a lot. Yeah. So definitely that healthy minds app will, will get you started in the right direction. That's cool. Yeah. One thing I've been doing recently on that note has been taking my phone and like putting it in a certain portion of the house and not being near it when I'm trying to not do that. And it just like, Yeah. It's such a distraction from the presence of like needing to be able to just be in silence or like be by yourself or do things. It's noticeable that that's like, it's a noticeable thing happening. You know, it's really crazy. So anything to be present, I think is so important these days more than ever. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like TikTok, Instagram, they're just a way to escape reality. And that's not really dealing with your thoughts. You know, that's just a way to distract your mind to not think about them rather than to make your to train your mind to stay in the future. So different. Right. Right. We are heading towards the end here, but we have some time left. I would love to just because I myself don't know a lot about rugby past. I've seen it and it's epic. But yes, would you like to talk on that a little bit just because you're, you're talking about how like that's really gaining momentum. It's also really building right now. And also you're clearly passionate about it. You've done it for some time right now. Can you share a little bit about like where, where is rugby going right now in the U S or the world? Or what do you, what do you see in, in terms of, it can be speculative based off of your experience, but what, what's your vibe on it? Your pulse right now on that. Sport? Okay. Is so yeah. So my, my vibe with how it's growing within the U S I think it's definitely going in the right direction you know, with the men's side, we have the MLR league, major league rugby in the U S. And so that's 15s, but it's only for men. And then we have PR sevens, which is only sevens and it's men's and women's. And that's opportunities for people to get paid to play rugby. I think that's really cool. It's getting a lot more popular in bigger schools like Harvard, Penn state, you know, cool. like Ivy, Ivy League schools, Dartmouth have leagues. And that's really neat that it's in more colleges because when I first started playing, it was like, no, there, it was a club. It was definitely a club team. It wasn't part of the actual curriculum on the school. Yeah. So um, to see that they're actually on it within the camp, you know what I mean? Like an actual sport that the NCAA is starting to recognize is really cool. So it's definitely taking off within the United States. And then as far as our league goes, they're always pushing to get the women into more stops because right now the men have about 10 tours that they go on and the women usually average around five to six tours that we go on. They're always pushing to get the women in because we don't go to the same places all the time. And so, you know, bringing the women's side to those tournaments, they push for that a lot. But yeah, that is that is my take on rugby growth. I can also speak upon like the rules of rugby if any if anyone is interested. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure that it's can get very technical, but like for people that straight up have no idea like what it is, yeah. how do you how do you explain it to them and how do they go about understanding it if they want to get into it more? Yes. So when I was when I was home just a couple of weeks ago, I went to my niece's school of third, fourth and fifth graders and talked to them about it. So I will we'll <laughs> elaborate. Take, we'll take this explanation. We, we are third and fourth graders here on the okay. podcast. This, <laughs> is how, this is how I like to explain it to them. It's basically a mixture of soccer and football. And we full live tackle each other, but we don't wear helmets or pads. We cannot throw the ball forward. We can only throw it backwards or laterally. And we run it forward. There are two different types of rugby. There's 15s, where you have 15 aside, 
and they so there's then there's 30 people on the field playing Holy together. crap that's so many people <laughs> yeah so that game is two 40 minute halves with a 10 minute halftime and then i play sevens and that's seven people from each side on the field so 14 on the field sure same size field and everything and our games are 14 minutes long two seven minute halves with a two minute halftime high intensity yes. Yes, that's why we can play in a tournament. And that's also why 15s isn't in the Olympics because it takes them two months to play a tournament and it takes us three days. So um, a little different there, but they have generally the same rules. So a score, which we call a try, is worth five and our conversion is worth And the big difference between like a football score and a rugby score is ironically, we actually have to touch the ball down. So when you get in the try zone, it's not a score yet until you put the ball on the ground. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's even getting looser in football where it's like people can literally cut that corner right at the the touchdown zone where they just, you see them hit the cone away and you're like, how is that a touchdown? Oh my God, never would have been a score in rugby. (laughs) (laughs) And then wherever we touch the ball down in the try zone, the kicker has to kick that on that line. So they have to come straight out and kick it from there. So if you score in the outside five meter channel or whatever, that's where your kicker has to kick it from. So in rugby, you'll generally see people run to the middle of the try zone in between the posts and score there in order to get a higher percentage for your conversion to go through. Got it. It gives them a better chance to get that through there because it's not going to automatically be put back to a spot right. in front of it. <laughs> exactly. Right. Wow. Yes. And we don't, we don't kick off a tee. We drop kick the ball. So the ball bounces on the ground and then you, and then you kick it through the uprights. Also um, sounds harder. So it is a little harder. it's really, a, it seems like from what you said, it sounds like it's like really a run game. Then if you can't throw forward, it's like you need to, the way you're getting it up the field is running forward and you pass it back and laterally so that that way you can avoid getting sacked or so you can uh, keep it, keep it moving forward because they might not be blocked as much or something like that. But it's all about the run game. It's like a run game football. Like you can't just throw that down the field and like get like a catch like 80 yards out. It's like that shit is being run back and forth down the field, like a basketball game, almost like, yeah, like soccer. So it switches from offense and defense very quickly. It, it can change it just like that. And so everyone on the field plays defense. Everyone plays offense. Everyone can pass with their left hand and their right hand equally as good. Yes, you can kick the ball at any time. And there's also no blocking. Forgot about it. You can't block. Oh. Yeah, it's called obstruction and it's a penalty. So... Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little different. Yeah. Why no pads and helmets? Why I no mean, pads and helmets? I mean, you can. You can wear a scrum cap, but I mean, a scrum cap is designed for a 15s player that plays second row. So their heads are between the props and their ears get raked a lot. So that's what a scrum cap is for. It's not necessarily sure. sure it's a little bit of a little bit of cushion. I used to wear one mainly just to keep my hair out of my face. In wrestling, I had that. Oh, the little thing. It's it's the same thing for the ears as well. So when you're being like a mat or something, it doesn't rip your ear off or give you like the cauliflower ear a lot. Yeah. Yeah. For for you guys too. Some people get, get them, but it's, it's a little more rare. See them more in 15s because of that, because of the scrum, but, and then we do have little, shoulder pads some girls wear them i personally didn't think they did much for me so i stopped wearing them but we we really teach how to tackle a lot differently than football there's a lot more rules around safety like for example in football you can just basically throw your head or shoulder into someone and just let them soar right yeah. like we have we have to wrap and go to ground with someone If you shoulder check in rugby, you're probably going to get a yellow card, maybe even a red card. So it's like we just teach it very differently where our our head goes on the backside instead of in front. And there's a lot more safety measures around it because, you know, concussions aren't fun. I would say that concussions are not the leading injury within rugby. It's very safe in that regard. 
That's very good to hear. Yeah. Cause I, I always saw it and I was like, do they just do this to be more badass? Because, no. like, <laughs> oh my God, dude. Cause it's a brutal sport anyway. But it's like, it is nice to hear where it's like football, it's like they almost need to wear knight's armor because they're just bashing the shit out of each other in that you're way that you right. just said. Whereas like you, you don't have the pads, which is terrifying to me that you're saying that. But like people are are very strictly adhering to a specific way to do the thing instead of just like bashing two walls against each other. There's a yeah. specific way. So even with less padding, there's less injuries potentially because You're of that right. form. Absolutely. Yes. That's interesting. That's something I never knew. So I never knew that. I literally straight up thought I was like, <laughs> it's just because they want to be more badass and they are more badass because rugby <laughs> looks terrifying. <laughs> you know, football does too, because those, those, People are bigger than my house and yeah. seeing that pick up speed and sprint towards me is terrifying, but also no pads and just constant, <laughs> constant back and forth also is terrifying to me. So <laughs> There's a sense. lot of running. I will say like that is the biggest part about our game is that you just got to be able to sprint nonstop. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. That makes sense why you have the track background and that must have helped you so much. Yes, that that is why I got recognized. Yes, was for the track background. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. All right. So I have the same six questions that I ask everyone at the end of the episode because I like to like compile every hundred or so and just see like what do a bunch of people pursuing what they want to do say about these things. So is it cool if I hit you with those? Okay. They're not as in-depth as yes, what we've been chatting on. So it's chill. That's okay. Okay. First one is kind of, I kind of get it usually from the interview when I talk to people for this long, but it's, I like asking it pointed where it's like, why do you wake up and do what you do every day versus any other thing that you could wake up and do in this planet? Yes. I love playing sports. (laughs) I love competing every day and I love challenging myself against the best in the world. And to me, that's really, really exciting that I get the opportunities to do that. And I was gifted some talent and now it's a little more refined. So yes, I, I do love waking up every day and going and seeing my teammates and, you know, working towards a common goal. So it is very rewarding at the end of the day. Hell yeah. Why not? What else would you want to do than what you just said? Sounds awesome to me. (laughs) Along the way, What do you think, like, maybe it's not your biggest mistake because you learned something from it, but like, what's something that like you'd tell five years ago, you or 10 years ago, you like, Hey, don't do this thing. Cause it kind of sucked. If you could could learn the lesson from it. Yeah. I would say probably five years ago, I would tell myself to like, remind myself to have fun because you're, you're playing a sport and it doesn't have to be that serious. Like if you're not having fun, then you need to go and take a break, you know? find the joy in it again, because when you start taking this job really seriously and you stop having fun, it's insanely draining, not just physically, but mentally when you get upset about every little thing, like it's just not fun anymore. So I would definitely tell myself to, to keep enjoying all the little moments, especially because my career is finite. It will have an end. You know, I can't play this until I'm 70. So, you know, I I think that's really what's hit me hardest in these last few years is like, whoa, shit, it's, it's actually coming to an end. You know, when I was 23, I was like, woo, who, yay, I get to do this every day, you know, but now I'm 31 and I'm like, woo, it's it's coming to an end and I'm going to be a real person soon. And I, Trying not to freak out about it. So yes, just enjoying the little moments. (laughs) That's actually a great thing that I never asked you because that is terrifying where like my, I'm able to, my music career can't be the same thing when I'm older, but I can still play music and still have a career in it till like, I literally watched Mick Jagger with a new heart, like Mm -hmm. back on stage again. And you're just like, yeah, still alive doing this. Like what, what exactly happens or what do most people do after they've done this career? And then they go on, what do they, is it very different for every person or like, what, what is your plan or what do a lot of people plan on doing after they've had a career on it? Do a lot of them go into coaching? Do a lot of them open up a practice or things that they're, you know, working in the sport? Yeah. It's very different for everyone. Some people, you know, they go back to their old career that they had before they joined the team or, you know, they just go back to school in general or some people do go and coach a team. For me, I will probably have to 
just like cut all ties and, and not do rugby for a while before I could think about coaching. It's something that, you know, I have a small amount of experience in. So it would definitely be interesting for me to get back into coaching. But right now we have this program called the care program within rugby. And it's basically to help set you up for the future. Cool. And it gives you a little, yeah, a little bit more additional money on the side. So right now I am remotely doing a a little bit of a marketing job for a company that they hooked me up with. So I'm trying to do that. But if marketing isn't my calling, then I really want to go back to school and become a PA. Cool. So yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Thanks. That's awesome. That's really interesting because it's, it's like something that you've sunk up like so much passion, so much energy, so much life into, and then you have to change things in some capacity. And that's, yeah. a, a, that's crazy. It's a lot of change, just like it, it I'm is. sure it was getting in. Flip side to that question is along the way, what's like the best idea that you've ever had? Or you're like five years ago, me or 10 years ago, me like definitely do this thing. This was awesome or do it sooner. <laughs> well, I guess what really helped me in like the second wave of my career. So you could say the second quad that I was a part of, I did take a year off after the 2016 Olympics. And that number one gave my body time to heal. I had knee injuries and ankle injuries and and I was a little bit beat up. So I took a year off and I kind of transitioned or whatever you could say, got my life together a little bit. But then, you know, I started to miss it. And I contacted the coach and I was like, Hey, would you like me? Can I come back? And he was like, sure. And so then, you know, I came back right before world cup in 2018. And I would just say that the, that timing of that break that I took was detrimental to my longevity in the sport. You know, if I hadn't have, if I hadn't have done that, I think I would have probably ended up being just a miserable little grouch for most of this. And so, yeah, to, to take that break and be like, shit, I don't want to do real life yet. You know, I think that really helped me value Mm -hmm. what I have right now a lot more. Cool. Take a break. Basically, if you need to take a break, take a break. Exactly. Like know yourself and really find balance in it. Because if you're not balanced, like if you don't take time to just do things that you enjoy outside of rugby, like then you're also going to long-term end up miserable. So yeah. 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 I feel that. What would be like a superpower, like your superpower is Lauren Doyle. What would people say is like the thing that makes, you know, your, your strong power, I guess your superpower in rugby in whatever, whatever you want. (laughs) Sure. Rugby, you know, it could be in rugby, could be in life, could be both. Just what would they say is like your superpower as a person? Okay. Well, physically, like on the field, superpower would probably be passing and playmaking. And then on the other flip side of it, like mentally, I have stepped up into a captaincy role. So just kind of fulfilling that and being able to lead a group of girls that, you know, look to me for things is, is a very powerful thing. Just, yeah, I would say leadership. (laughs) Cool. Awesome. What would be a resource that you'd recommend to the audience could be specific to rugby, could be your life, anything that you'd recommend could be a book, video, podcast. What's a resource that you'd recommend or resources? Ooh, okay. This is a good one. So this brings me back to our sports psychologist. He recently introduced us to the Gottman people. I don't know what the correct term is, but there's lots of research on it's G-O-T-T-M-A-N, Gottman. And they basically... Gottman method. Yeah, there's like these four horsemen or whatever of how people handle confrontation or arguments and and stuff. And it's just like so powerful and you can learn so much about, you know, am I a defensive person or do I stonewall people or, you know, like different things like that. So there's lots of podcasts out about it and they have like there's one about how you can improve your relationship in in like f- five minutes or less. And that's on Spotify. And so I think it's called the, the small things or something. That's but cool. yes, yeah, uh, small things often. So I thought that that was a really 
cool one that we just recently learned about. And it's something that you can continue. It, it, they, put, they put them out all the time. So you can dive into that. I thought it was pretty interesting. But yeah. That's <laughs> wicked interesting. And I don't think that anyone mentioned that on the podcast so far. So that's awesome. Yes. I'll link that down in the show notes below. Last is super easy, Lauren. Where do people keep up with you and what you're up to out there? Ah, yes. My Instagram is, honestly, I always forget it. I think it's lauren.doyle23. That is where you can follow me. I also have two dogs and their Instagram is Rio and Rocky underscore Shebas. I do have a TikTok. I don't know. Oh, that's Lauren Doyle 230. Okay. Not that I do anything on it, but sometimes I do. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show and taking the time to share like a total fresh perspective on here and dealing with your crazy schedule to make it so that this could happen tonight. I really appreciate you jumping on here and, and talking with me. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's really been a good time. Good. Awesome. We're, we're, we're trying to have good times here. We're very yes, positive. We uh, have done it. <laughs> we're a very positive crew here. So awesome. Cool.